And we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 1 and 2. All right, 1 and 2, that's what we're going to be this morning. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Mike Lukaszewski last week. Um, <clears throat> if, you, uh, if you enjoy sarcasm, Mike is your guy. And uh, if you're from New York, you're, you're like, he's going to do great in New York. I'm just telling you. I mean, Brooklyn's going to be all about Mike Lukaszewski. He's a phenomenal man of God. Just heard he did a great job last week. Actually had a chance to listen to his, to his message and uh, grateful that we've got all kinds of great communicators that can, can jump in here. I was speaking up at Oak Leaf. Dave Cole spoke out at uh, West Paulding last week and Mike was here. So we kind of did a rotation thing. I wonder how many of you have ever been in a situation where you just felt stuck. I mean, you are, you know, it's like things were moving forward. You were rolling and all of a sudden, boom, you just came to a screeching halt. About nine years ago, uh, Amy and I planned a trip to Hawaii. We were celebrating our 10-year anniversary. We had um, saved up some money for this. We price-lined a hotel, and we got some buddy passes from some friends who work in the airline industry to uh, get us uh, back and forth to Hawaii. Now, how many of you have ever traveled with buddy passes before? Buddy passes are either feast or famine. I mean, that's what I've learned. You either get first row seat, first class seats and you get to fly wherever you want, or you get stuck in the back. You, ride, you may even ride in the toilet area of the, of, of the airplane. I don't, I don't know how that works out. But I know many, many times we've done the buddy pass thing, and we've actually gotten stuck. And on this particular trip, we made it out of Atlanta, flew into Los Angeles. And we got in early in the morning into Los Angeles, and we thought, this will be great. We'll get out of Los Angeles, get into Honolulu, and we'll have a good day, you know, in Honolulu, and, and this will all work out. Well, we flew into Honolulu, and we got bumped from one flight after the next. I think when it was all said and done, we had got bumped off of eight planes. And finally, the last plane of the night got on this plane, flew to Maui, then flew over to uh, to, um, to Honolulu, and uh, Amy and I renewed our vows on a beautiful beach in Hawaii while we were being robbed. Our car was getting robbed, but it was a great memory. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we, it's just, we were, I mean, that day being stuck in that Los Angeles airport was just, oh, it was just brutal. It was so brutal. And even though, you know, I'm a people watcher, I mean, and I like to, I mean, my, Amy, we can go to the mall and Amy can just shop all over the place and I'll just sit there and watch people. If you ever get stuck in the Los Angeles airport in California, oh, oh what a place to watch people. All right. But I'm just telling you, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than being stuck, stuck in a snowstorm, stuck in the mud, in a car, stuck in an airplane, on a runway, at a tarmac. Stuck in a foreign country, which I've been in that situation before as well. And some of you this morning, you feel stuck in your life. You feel stuck spiritually. You feel stuck emotionally. You feel trapped in a sin. You are in a relationship where you feel stuck. And instead of moving forward, you are in a complete standstill. It's like nothing's moving forward. You are just, you, you are standing there, you're stuck, you can't see any, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be in a series called Momentum. Momentum is this compelling force that drives us forward. It's, what, it's what's happened when we're moving and sometimes even gaining speed. But what do you do when you've lost momentum? What do you do when all of a sudden you're stuck in a situation where momentum's just been lost? Now, over the next few weeks, as we continue our theme of, of getting spiritually healthy, which is what we began uh, at the beginning of this year of 2011, we're going to be studying the life of Moses, and we're going to be looking at the people of Israel from the book of Exodus. Now, um, 
Exodus is, the beginning of Exodus is the story of the Israelites being stuck. And we talk about, you know, moving forward, but the Israelites in this story at the very beginning were stuck from moving forward. They were trapped in slavery. Now, how long were the Israelites in Egypt? Well, you can look at some scholars. They'll tell you 430 years. You can look, some will tell you 400 years. You can look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. And some scholars actually believe that it was 215 years from the time that Joseph entered Egypt to the time that they left. But regardless of how long they were actually there, when you look at their story, you realize at the very beginning that things go from bad to worse quickly. Now, I want to give you a little backstory behind this because the backstory of the book of Exodus actually begins in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God promises to build a nation from one man's family. God comes to a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham, he tells Abraham, he says, I'm going to build a nation. I'm going to build my own people through you. Abraham has a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac has a son by the name of Jacob. Jacob has a son by the name of Joseph. And out of this family, a nation is born called Israel. And the book of Genesis ends with a famine in the land. And Joseph and his family are heading to Egypt so that they can find relief from the famine. They're trying to go to Egypt where they can find food. Now, at one point, if you remember, and we actually did a study on the, in the life of Joseph last year, I think right around this time, um, you remember that Joseph was actually put in charge of Egypt by Pharaoh himself. And if you want to go back into Genesis and read the story about how all that happened, it's a fascinating story. But when you get into the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis begins with the Israelites living among the Egyptians. And as they're living there, they're, this nation is growing very quickly. It is, they, are, they are quickly just expanding in number. However, here they are, they're stuck in a foreign land. A promise has been made. A promise has been made to Abraham. Carried out through Isaac, through Jacob, through Joseph. It's supposed to go forward, but progress has been lost. They have lost momentum. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing. Okay? Remember, he used to be in charge of Egypt. There was a pharaoh who put him in charge, but now there's a new king, and he now means nothing, and he's come into power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will begin, uh, become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Fitham and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Now, Pharaoh has not only put slave masters over the Israelites and is now working them, I mean, just ruthlessly, according to what the Bible says, but he's also made it illegal. He's come down with a decree to make it illegal for Hebrew women to have male babies. If you look in Exodus chapter 1 verse 22, it says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw him into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now, why is Pharaoh so obsessed with the Israelites? Well, here's the deal. He is afraid of losing power. 
The Jews were his slaves. They were his personal workforce. They were building his own personal kingdom. And he is afraid that they're going to outgrow him and overtake him. They're afraid he's not only going to lose his workforce, but he is going to be overtaken by all these Israelites. Now, many of you in this room are mothers. And I want you to think about what's going on here for a moment. If you were a Jewish mother living in Egypt during this time, there's a 50-50 chance that the baby that you've been carrying for nine months, this baby that has grown inside of you, that you have grown to love, once, it is, once it's born, it's going to die. It's going to be thrown into the Nile River. Imagine the hopelessness of knowing that this child that you have been carrying, that is going to be born, is going to be killed as soon as it's born. Now, many of you have been in hopeless situations before. You have been in situations before where, you know, ladies, maybe you have been through a situation where you know you're in a miscarriage situation, or some of you have lost a child, or some of you have lost a spouse, or you have someone persecuting you right now, or you have recently lost a job, or something has happened, and you feel trapped, you feel stuck, you're looking at the situation going, there's no way out of this. I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. Many of you know the story of, of a lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom um, grew up in a family of Dutch, Dutch Christians who back um, during the time of the Nazis was, was hiding um, Jews from, from the, the Nazi Holocaust. And um, the, the, the whole Ten Boon family was turned in to the Nazis by a Dutch informant. And they were arrested on, on February 28, 1944. And they were sent to a prison where uh, Corey Ten Boom's dad died. Um, her sister and a brother and a nephew were all released. And then all of a sudden, she and her sister Betsy were sent to a political concentration camp in the Netherlands. Finally, they were both sent to the notorious Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp in Germany on December 16, 1944. And Corey's sister Betsy died. But before she died, she told Corey this. She said, listen, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And Corey goes on to tell about how she was released on, on New Year's Eve on December 1944. And there was a movie that was actually made about this whole incident called The Hiding Place. And in this movie, Corey Tenboom herself narrates the movie. And she talks about how that she is released from, from this prison camp. And how she learned later on that after her release, um, the reason that she was released, that, that there was a clerical error that had been made. And because of that error, she was released. But the women prisoners that were her age in the camp were killed the week following her release. And out of her horrendous ordeal of being near death in a Nazi prison camp, here's what she wrote. She said, God does not have problems, only plans. She also said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. She also wrote this. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. And some of you this morning, you are in a hopeless state right now. Momentum has been lost. You are at a standstill. And what do you do when that happens? What do you do when hope all seems lost? Here's what you do. You trust God. You trust the engineer. You don't throw away the ticket, jump off and try. You trust God. 
You trust that God is working behind the scenes on his behalf. You trust that his word says that he has not left you, that he's not abandoned you, that he has not turned his back on you. You see, when you are in a hopeless state, you don't trust your own ingenuity. You don't trust your own strength. You don't trust your own wisdom. You don't trust your own smarts, your own knowledge. You cry out to God and you put your total trust in him alone. That's what you do. In Exodus chapter 1, the Israelites are in a hopeless situation. Pharaoh puts slave masters over them and brutalizes them with ruthless hard work. If you look in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, you actually see God telling Abraham when he's calling him to be the leader of, this, of, of his own nation that one day he's going to say, so listen, one day the Israelites, they are going to be afflicted in a foreign land for 400 years. Now, what do they do? Well, we get into Exodus chapter 2. And in verse 23, it says the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God and God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. I want you to think about these Israelites for a moment, even though this looked like a helpless situation, it looked like a hopeless situation behind the scenes, God was orchestrating a plan to rescue them. You may not feel like it this morning, but God is involved in the events of your life. Not only is he involved providentially, but he is involved very specifically. Providentially, God is involved in the, in the, in, in the affairs of this world. You look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, it tells us that he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. However, what you also need to know is that God is very specifically involved in the lives of his children. And in the upcoming weeks, we're going to see how God physically led the Israelites out of Egypt in a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. We're going to see him provide for them all the bread that they could eat in the morning and all the meat, the quail that they could eat at night. God is involved in this world providentially. But he is, he is involved very specifically in the affairs of your life if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, I know some of you have been watching the news over the last few days. And you right now may be thinking this. All right, Brian. If God is involved so much in our lives, what about all the crazy stuff that's happening in Japan right now? What about... What about that, how is God working behind the scenes in a situation like that? 9,500 people missing in one community. Maybe over 10,000 people possibly dead. How do you tell the Japanese to trust God when thousands of their countrymen have been killed in a horrific natural disaster? How do you look at the Japanese and tell them, you know, if one of these nuclear power plants completely implodes, how do you tell them that God is there? Here's what I want you to do. I want to give you some homework today. I want you to go home and I want you to read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39. You see, we look at earthquakes, we look at tornadoes, we look at all the flooding that's going on all over the place, we look at hurricanes, and we have to understand that sin has caused this earth to fall into a state of decay. And we have to understand that this was not God's plan for creation. This was not the way he intended for things to be. But you also need to know that God is working behind the scenes. 
And we look at all of this suffering all over the world and we see it happening everywhere. But listen, God has already put a plan in place not only to replace the earth with a brand new one one day, but he has a plan for us as well. He has, he has a plan to replace this decaying physical body with a brand new perfect body for all who place their trust and their faith alone in Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. And some of you, you're looking at your physical body and you're going, amen, I can't wait for that day. All right, bring it on Jesus, thank you. But in the meantime, not only has God, according to Romans 8, given us the Holy Spirit to help us through this time, and not only has he given us the ability to pray to God, even when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit utters words on our behalf that only God can understand. But listen to what Romans 8, 28 tells us. It's my grandmother's favorite verse. I remember her quoting it when I was a child over and over again, it says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, does that mean that only good things are going to happen to Christians? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, we're going to suffer. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. But listen, God is working all of it out. God is continuing to work it all out to be used for his overall plan to draw the world to his son Jesus, for us as believers to become more like Jesus, to be conformed to his image, and to bring glory to God himself. And so what is this? This is an amazing time for those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior to point the people of Japan to Jesus Christ. Romans 8 talks about the hope that we have that as God's children, one day God is going to rescue his children from this earth and how he's going to create a new earth for us to live with him for all eternity. See, that's our hope. That's our hope. In the meantime, regardless of what we go through, Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from God and nothing will ever separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. I don't care what we go through. I don't care what hits us tomorrow. I don't care what you face going through whatever this week will bring for you. Nothing, nothing will ever separate you from the love of Jesus Christ and from God himself. Now let's go back to Egypt for a moment. The Israelites are crying out to God. They are begging for God to rescue them. But little did they know that an Israelite woman had become pregnant with a baby boy. She takes this baby boy and she hides the boy away for three months when she cannot hide him any way any longer, she makes a basket for him out of papyrus. And she places him in the reeds, puts him in the basket and places him in the reeds along the Nile River. And the basket begins to float down the river. And one day Pharaoh's, shortly thereafter, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river and she sees this basket. And she looks in the basket and she sees this healthy little baby boy and she picks him up and she decides to keep him. Now listen to this because this is cool. She hires... Moses' mother to be his nanny. Exodus 2, verse 9. Pharaoh's daughter, said, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Check, I mean, think about that. She goes and gets Moses' mother. Nurse the baby, I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The name Moses means to draw out. Now, don't miss what's happening here. Don't miss the importance of what's happening in this story. God is working behind the scenes. While the people of Israel are enduring hard slavery, 
All the male Jewish babies, baby boys are being murdered. A little Jewish boy by the name of Moses is being raised in Pharaoh's palace. Most likely, he is learning leadership. Most likely, he is learning about running a nation. He is watching leadership, how leadership handles adversity. Probably the good, bad, and the ugly. Now, listen. Moses could have grown up to be a spoiled little brat Egyptian prince. He could have grown up and been totally assimilated into Egyptian religion, to Egyptian culture. But Pharaoh's daughter hires his own mother to be his nanny. What's going on here? God is seeing to it that he never loses his connection to the Israel people. God is seeing to it. He's working behind the scenes so that Moses is committed to his own people. And in Exodus chapter 2, it tells us that when Moses had grown up, he goes out and he watches his people being mistreated, being forced to do hard labor by Egyptian slave masters. And as he's watching this whole scene, he zones in on an Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew. And he gets so mad, he kills the Egyptian and he hides him in the sand. Now when Pharaoh hears about this, Pharaoh is ticked off and he goes after Moses and he tries to kill him. But Moses escapes into a place called Midian. Midian is out in the middle of nowhere, Middle East, probably somewhere out in the middle of Saudi Arabia. And while he's out there, he meets a family. He meets a guy by the name of Jethro who has seven daughters. Jethro is a priest. Jethro gives one of his daughters, Zipporah, over to, be, over to Moses to be married. And Moses spends 40 years out in the middle of nowhere Midian doing what? Tending sheep. Now let me give you a little bit of interesting infit, uh, info, a little tidbit about the story of Moses. The events, if you look at chapter 1 and 2, there's about three and a half centuries of information from verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 2. Three and a half years, three, 300 years, okay, three and a half centuries of information. You get into chapter 3 and go all the way to chapter 40, guess how many? One. The, the Bible just does that. Chapter 3, chapter 40, one year. And that's what we're going to get into next week. Now listen to this. According to Acts chapter 7... The story of Moses can be divided up into three 40-year segments. Moses spent his first 40 years in Egypt, nursed by his own mother and by Egyptian schools. He spent his second 40 years in the desert, nursed by, the, nursed by solitude and taught by God. He spent his final 40 years with the Hebrew people in the wilderness, nursed by trials and discouragement and tests, taught by the law which he received by God's own hand. D.L. Moody says this, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was nobody. And he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Listen, all of you in this room, every one of us can relate to Moses. We have had years where we look and we go, things are great. We've had moments in our lives where we go, it's great. I, God, I can't even believe that you've worked all this out for me. I can't believe how great things are. Everything is going my way. This, I mean, it can't get any better. And all of a sudden, momentum just comes to a screeching halt. Something happens in your life. And here we are. We feel like Moses. Stuck out in the middle of nowhere, feeling like a nobody, wondering if God is anywhere to be found. And that's where some of you are this morning. 
Whatever your circumstance may be, you feel stuck. Momentum has come to a screeching halt. You can't see God. You don't know where the light is at the end of this tunnel that you're in. What do you do? Three truths that you have got to learn from this story that you've got to anchor yourself in. Number one, hard times don't remove God's promises. Hard times don't remove God's promises. At the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says that God heard the groaning of the Israelites and he remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, when God makes a promise, he doesn't forget it. You may forget his promises. The world may not believe his promises or may forget his promises, but he never forgets his promises and he never removes them. I like what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, in this era of decadence and moral decay, at the time when our nation's capital reels with scandal and ripped with partisan politicians, don't think for a moment that God has taken a vacation or misplaced his promises. He hasn't fallen asleep at the switch. He doesn't need CNN to keep up with the latest developments. At the proper time, at the time determined before the foundation of the world, he will send forth his son again. And the mighty king of kings will return to deliver his blood-bought people. He will return with justice. The earth may melt and the stars may fall from the heavens, but the living God will not forget what he has promised. I don't know about you, but that's the time to clap. Okay? All right? That's where the white folks get a little unwhite in the church. Okay? Come on. Thank you. Number two, harsh treatment doesn't escape God's attention. Exodus 3, verse, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Listen, number two, harsh treatment doesn't escape God's attention. Harsh treatment doesn't escape God's attention. Do you ever think that somehow the things that you go through, the trials, the tests that you go through, somehow it's escaped God's attention? When we believe that somehow doesn't, God doesn't care, we believe that somehow that God isn't aware, I want to tell you what you've bought into. You have bought into one of the biggest lies that Satan loves to throw at us. God is always aware. God cares very deeply. And as we are going to see over the next few weeks, God will do whatever he has to do to rescue his children. He will go to extreme measures, even if it means splitting an ocean right down the middle so his people can walk through on dry land. And you may feel this morning that God's not paying attention. You may feel like his deliverance isn't coming just when you want it. Listen, his deliverance might not come on your timetable just the way you order it, but trust me, when it comes, and it will come, it will come just the way he wants it to, and it will come just at the right time. Harsh treatment? That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And trust me, it doesn't mean that, it, that somehow or another it has escaped God's attention. And sometimes we look at harsh treatment. Some of you are being persecuted by somebody. Some of you are being mistreated by somebody. And we think, you know what? I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to take matters in because you know what? God obviously needs my help. God doesn't need your help. God's very aware of what you're going through. And before you go after somebody, before you try to make things right in your own strength, in your own power, using your own smarts, your own ingenuity... You need to realize that God's on the throne. He's got your back. And when you are treated unjustly, he sees it. And he's watching. And he says, revenge is mine. 
I'll help you. You just keep putting that burden on me. You just keep throwing that on my shoulders. Before you lose your testimony, do something stupid. You just keep throwing that on me. Harsh treatment doesn't escape God's attention. And then third thing, heavy tests don't overshadow God's concern. Regardless of the test you may be going through right now, it never overshadows God's, God's concern. Next week, we're going to be doing a live interview on stage here with um, a, a wonderful family, Marianne and, and Stephen Abadi. Many of you, uh, if you have been in this church for a while or if you've lived in the West Cobb area you know, for any amount of time, you're very aware that uh, back on February 13, 2006, their 15-year-old son, Luke, caught a ride home with a young man. And five boys, um, his driver took these boys on a joy ride, 90 miles plus, however fast they were going, down a one-lane road. The car went airborne. When it crashed, Luke went out of the car. And two days later, he was pronounced dead. I was very involved in that situation along with several other area pastors. Many of you were involved in that situation. And some of you, that's how you came to this church. And we're going to interview them this next week. There's actually been a movie, a Hollywood movie, but that's been made about this whole story that comes out March the 25th called The Fifth Quarter. And we're going to talk about their journey. And I want to tell you something. You watch this family, the last five years for them have been very very, very difficult to, just to watch them navigate through the loss of a child. I'm looking at some of you out in this audience right now who've lost a child, who've lost a spouse, who felt who have just somehow or another have been abandoned by a spouse. And you look at that and you go, I can't even explain the journey that I've been on. Many of you know that uh, before I met my wife, Amy, I went through a broken engagement. 28 days from the day we were to get married, the girl that I was engaged to decided she didn't want to be married. And I'll tell you what I felt like. Listen, 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 this is how I processed this. Loser. Seriously, I mean, I'm thinking, who, who's ever going to, you know. And that's what Satan was telling me. But the only way I got through it is I had to anchor myself in the promises of God's word. I had to keep believing that what he said in his word was true. I had to keep just trusting that regardless of what I was going through, it didn't overshadow God's concern. And maybe you right now, you are experiencing a tough stretch of road. You try to look ahead and all you see is darkness. There is no light at the end of your tunnel. Momentum has been completely lost. And you may be asking the question that people are asking all over the world this morning. Where's God? Where's God? Can I tell you where he is? He is right beside of you. He has never left. He has never taken his eye off you even for one second. He is very present with those who are calling out his name this morning in Japan. He has been working all over the world this year with his children in Haiti. He is at work in Iraq. He's watching over his children in Afghanistan and he's currently loving on his followers in Libya. He has not missed one thing that has happened all over this world and he's not missed one thing that has happened in your life. He has never ceased caring for you. He has never stopped thinking about you. He has never stopped loving you with a passion that goes way beyond your comprehension. And you may have think he has left the scene. You may feel like a loser this morning. But listen, you can trust that he's always working either right in front of your eyes or he is beyond, going beyond, working behind the scenes for your good and ultimately for his glory. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present ever help in trouble. 
See, the challenge for many of us right now is, listen, is, is just don't lose hope. That's the challenge. Go back to Romans 8 and look at the hope that we have in this life in, 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 that's anchored in God. When you go through tough times, when you go through heavy tests, when you go through harsh treatment, don't lose hope. And beyond that, listen to me now, don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. Don't allow yourself to get to a place where you become so bitter that you fall away from God. Hudson Taylor, who's a famous Chinese missionary, wrote, it doesn't matter how great the pressure is, what really matters is where the pressure lies. It either comes between you and God or it presses you nearer to his heart. After years of slavery, people, the people of Israel finally cried out to God and God answered them. And they had to trust that God was faithful to his promise, that he had a plan that he would deliver. What do you do when momentum's been lost? When you lose a job? When your spouse walks out on you? When you experience a death? You lose a child? You lose a spouse? You lose a grandparent? You trust God? You don't trust some self-help method. You don't turn on the TV and start watching all. You trust God. You anchor yourself in the promises of God's word. And even though you may not see the light, you may, you may not feel the light, you may not, listen, you just need to know that God is faithful. And what he says, he will do. And he will carry you through it. And he may not answer it just the, the, at the right time that you, you know, in your mind or at the moment that you pray it. But you can trust that when he does answer it, it's going to be in his time and it's going to be just the way he wants it answered. And it'll be for your good and for his glory. When you're being persecuted by somebody, you don't go after them. You put it on God. You trust him and you let him fight your battles for you. I want you to bow your head for a moment. Some of you, you are just going through hard times. Anchor yourself in God's promises. Some of you are going through harsh treatment. You need to understand that none of that has escaped God's attention. Some of you are just, you are in a, in a time of heavy testing you cannot see ahead of yourself. You don't know what's going on. God is working behind the scenes. And you have not escaped his concern. Lord, I pray for the people of this church, for the people of this community, for people all over the world. I pray for the people who are in Japan this morning. The devastation that they have experienced over the last two days is beyond our comprehension. My prayer is that they will cry out to you. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Let them see how much you love them. And even when they can't even remotely see a plan, Lord, help them to realize that you do have a plan. And you have a plan in the form of your son, Jesus. And you have a plan to rescue this world, this earth from the decay and the sin that, Lord, has created so much chaos. 
And I pray, Father, for us this morning, Lord, as we go through whatever it is that we're dealing with, when, when momentum has come to a complete standstill, when we don't know how to move forward, when we can't see where you're moving, help us to trust you. Help us not to rely in our own ingenuity, our smarts, our wisdom, Lord, but to trust you. And whatever you give us from that point on, Lord, help us to follow lead us. I want to speak to some of you in this room this morning and talk about momentum and how momentum is, begins with trust. There are some of you in this room this morning that momentum has never started in your life because you are lost. You are lost spiritually. In God's word, you are, you are, you are spiritually dead inside. Momentum begins spiritually when you cry out to Jesus and you put your faith and your trust in him alone and you ask him to forgive you of your sins and to realize that Jesus Christ had come to this earth to be a substitute for you and that by putting your faith and your trust in him alone not only can you experience forgiveness but you can experience an eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ listen the opposite of all of that is an eternity in a very real place called hell. But God has a plan and he's working his plan out right now. And maybe part of his plan for your specific life was that you would be here this morning to hear this message and that God would extend an opportunity for you to have a, a relationship with Jesus at this very moment, to come in here and but for you to repent of your sins and for you to, to come to know Jesus Christ right now as a savior of your life. If that's you, I want to just ask you to cry out to him right now. Say just, Lord Jesus, at this very moment, I call out to you and I repent of my sins. And I want you to tell, I want to tell you that Jesus, you are the son of God. And that what you did on the cross for me was enough to save me of my sins. There is nothing within, within me that's good enough to make up for that. Jesus, you came as my sacrifice. And I put all my faith and trust in you alone at this very moment. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to help you to not only understand that decision more, but to take the next step. So if you would take, fill out your communication card, take it to the help center in the back of the, uh, out in the atrium. You can talk to some of the counselors on the side over here love to sit down with you and take you further on that and just let you know a little bit more about what you just did and also help you to get moving on this journey to get momentum going spiritually in your life for the rest of us Lord I pray that you'll help us to just rest in your promises Lord to realize that you're at work you're working out your plan you've never left us you're faithful you're true momentum begins when we trust you completely Lord with every everything that's going on in our lives thank you in Jesus name